Welcome to the Moving Beyond Your Tribe, where we dig deep on how to stand out from the crowd by building bridges and breaking free from the comfort zone of colloquialism, industrial language, and jargon to find new words, new thinking, and new approaches to ignite action, mobilize a wider network of ambassadors, create customer loyalty, even in a downturn, and build better internal culture. Hi, I'm your host, Torin. I'm bilingual and throughout my life have straddled two cultures, Norwegian and American. I've worked in 10 different industries spanning 25 countries. I have seen firsthand the power of diverse collaboration to create impact across cultures, countries, and the political divide. On this podcast, we will bring on notable leaders from all walks of life to teach us and provide us tools on how they have moved beyond their comfort zone and create amazing breakthroughs of profit, opportunities, and impact. Now let's get started. Welcome to the Moving Beyond Your Tribe. I'm really excited today because I have Sarah Lamb on the phone call, and she is the founder of Girl Geek Dinners. We had a Girl Geek Dinner Oslo. I was so impressed with it when I was joined it like seven or eight years ago in Norway, and it's just been a thriving resource for me, mentorship, helping me to be better on technology. And Sarah Lamb has a degree in, I got to get this right here. It's an undergrad in computation and then a master's in enterprise and computation at the University of Manchester. We're really excited to have you on to talk about how you created a global network from your home, from your ideas to the world. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you. That's a bit of a mouthful, wasn't it? <laughs> how did you get started with creating such a network? Tell us the story. I started off by going to tech events with my background in computer science. I used to go to a lot of computing type events, um, geek dinners and Microsoft events, etc. And I kept getting to asked why I was at them. It was driving me slightly loopy. I was being asked whether I was someone's wife, someone's girlfriend, whether I worked in marketing and was doing the PR for the events. And then someone turned around to me once and they went, you won't be interested in this and completely cut me out of a conversation. And a friend, good friend of mine stood next to me at the end of their conversation, said, I think Sarah might actually have something to say to you about this because this is her area of expertise. And it kind of gave me the impression of this shouldn't happen. And I shouldn't have to require a male advocate to stand up for me and be able to speak on my behalf so that I actually had a voice. Wow, so, that's pretty, it's pretty ouch. Like yeah. How did, that, how did that make you feel when they're doing that to you? I mean, that's just so rude. Yeah, very rude. I was actually quite angry and frustrated. And I think they got the brunt of that when I actually answered my question because I did tell them how they were. <laughs> Good for you. I mean, I, I guess because I, I work in the industry and, and it was something that I knew really well. I felt like I could stand up for myself with it. And I had friends around me that were there with me backing me up, which makes a big difference. Right. And then on the way home on the train from that particular event, I sat with the same friend that stood up for me and said, I want to do something like the event we went to, but I want it to be comfortable for women to go to and for them to be the majority, not the minority. And from there, the conversation around geek dinners, but for girls kind of came along and then it turned into something called girl geek dinners. Um, so, so I how got did into- you come up with the word girl geek dinners? Well, that event that I went to was called Geek Dinners. It was run by Robert Scoble and Hugh McLeod and a few other very well-known tech bloggers who eventually became good friends of mine, actually. From there, I asked them for 
advice on how they'd set that event up. And I said, I want to do a geek dinner, but for girls. And they said, we'll support you doing that and we'll push it out and let our network know about it. Hugh originally did our first version of Logo for us. Um, we had a had a gaping void Girl Geek Dinners logo for a while. And then we felt like we needed our own brand rather than under his brand. But it, things move on. And then, yeah, I mean, I blogged about the idea and someone said, that sounds like a good idea. And then someone said, when is it? So at that point, you kind of have to do it, right? right. <laughs> so I set a date and a time and I set, chose the Texas Embassy, which is where that dodgy person that put me in a corner and said, you won't be interested in this. That all happened. So we started something new in the same place as something old was due to finish. Um, oh, that is so <laughs> So we So, so we gave it a whole new meaning. <laughs> the first girl we eat dinner was at the Texas Embassy, same place as the geek dinner. We followed the same kind of rules as the Geek Dinner, but with one additional rule. Women were invited to attend and men could come along with an invite from a female attendee. So they couldn't come along unless they'd been vetted by the women. <laughs> I love that. They had to be vetted to be polite, not like that rude guy. Did yeah. you ever meet up with that rude guy again? No, I've never come across him at any other events. And I suspect he would be dying knowing that we're talking about it even now, years later. <laughs> What his rudeness started. Yeah, I know. I mean, it, it wasn't really just one person, but it was a combination. And it was that one thing at the end that just, yeah, it was it, it was enough. And you started this in London, correct? Yeah. And what happened there? Because it just seems like it went like as a brush fire. I mean, I think you, yeah. I think so, you touched on something that all us women were longing for. Yeah, so it started off with London. I obviously ran London. I went in didn't live in London I went to London regularly and decided I would do it there because that was where most I thought we'd have most women in tech and a lady from Brighton came and joined us and she couldn't do going into London all the time it was a bit too far so she said I want to do this but in Brighton so I packaged up the idea and explained to her how we did it the same way as I've been taught and then we kind of went on from there in the meantime London had started getting sponsors from the likes of Microsoft and Google and big companies who happened to be people that attended the events. And then from there, we went to Italy and Belgium and France, Australia, New Zealand. We kind of jumped across the world because people started to attend them when they were visiting places. Microsoft used to let me run them alongside TechEd and um, some of their big conferences. So we'd have a TechEd Girl Geek dinner, for example. And people came from around the world for that. So then they'd see that and ask how it happened. And I'd say, oh, you could run these in your own country. Here's the details. Get in touch and we'll get you on the website and we'll sort it all out. Yeah, it just really spread. There wasn't anything much like it around at the time. Nothing that was informal. Everything that had been done was big formal conferences once a year and not a lot else. And then other groups started popping up that weren't Girl Geek Dinners. And we've basically ended up with a very, very large international community of women in tech organisations as a result of just good ideas really and letting them go free so wow that's pretty amazing so how many countries did you have at the at the peak at the peak 48 countries 104 cities and involving over 51,000 people at least so it got really big and shortly after that I ended up speaking at the UN on women and tech as well so yeah it got me sorts of places I never thought I'd be so how was that to speak at the UN about women in tech? That was scary. I mean, I, I was told it was a panel discussion. Right. And to me, a panel discussion is like women on a panel discussing a topic, not at the UN. 
uh, at the UN, you have your list of things you want to say. You have someone do an introduction that's at the podium and then they go to each member of the panel and they get you to say your piece. And then it opens to the floor and they build on what you've said rather than you having a discussion around particular topics. No one ever gives you the rules of engagement with the UN. So you kind of learn as you go along. And then once you've done your panel discussion, you can go into any of the other sessions that are going on after that, any of the plenary discussion sessions and things. You don't have to have an invite to go into them. You just turn up and you have a voice at the table, which is completely different to anything else I've ever seen anywhere else in the world. How and they are leaders, voice? heads of state, you know, How people with a voice. You have a voice. Oh, yeah. It was really fascinating. At the time, they hadn't started UN Women. And that kind of came out of that first conference. I think it was already in plans, but it helped them guide what they wanted to do and where they wanted to go with it. They focused more on some of the data aspects and the evidence and the supporting materials, as well as the campaign work that they were planning. So it actually opened up the door to to all sorts of different things, including uh, equal pay and all that kind of thing. They, They really understood where the problems were and why they need to be resolved because of economic advantage as much as anything. Isn't that incredible? Have you been back? Yeah, I look back and I think one person, one voice, one idea. If everyone thought like that, imagine what could happen. Can you say that one more time? I like that. (laughs) I'm not sure I can say it again. (laughs) One person, one idea. And if everyone did that, what could happen? Well, what does that make you feel when you look back at how much impact you've had on that one idea? Well, I would have hoped, given the amount of people that it's touched, that things might have moved forwards a little faster than they have. I had hoped that we would see a lot more women in the workplace than we do, particularly in the IT industry. And I was initially very surprised that despite that reach and despite all those people impacted that things didn't turn around. They have changed, they have improved, but there are still a lot of barriers in the tech sector that need to be progressed. In, and that's globally, not just one country. The issues that we see for women in tech are actually women in the workplace issues. They're not necessarily technology issues at all. So it's really fascinating to see why and how. The tech sector itself, because it's more male-dominated, is a symptom rather than the cause of the problem, I believe. And it's really interesting to see what does work and what doesn't work. It does not work. What doesn't work? Segregation, for a start. Having women's networks that are only for women that create an us versus them attitude because the men feel like they're being set upon. They don't feel like they're allowed to belong at the same time. You create friction rather than creating an all-encompassing environment to work in and when anyone does that that's never going to be a nice working environment it's like two people that don't get along that you sit them together and they're never going to get along unless you find something that they have a common interest in and if your common interest is I work in tech and you work in tech but I'm male and you're female you've put the gender in there you've immediately created a friction point you could have started at the higher level I work in tech and you work in tech and we both belong here the, the gender shouldn't come into it. So do you ever reflect on that girl geek dinner, Oz, girl geek dinners should change the name then? Or do you feel that it's still unifying? Or have you thought about that? 
I considered it. I considered trying to take over the Geek Dinner name, but again, Geek Dinner and Girl Geek Dinners, they are genderized. When we initially did it, it was a play on Girl Geek because there was no such thing as a Girl Geek even on Wikipedia when we started. There wasn't even the word for it in uh, in Iceland. They had to break up a new word. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's interesting when you talk about the naming of Girl Geek Dinners. And obviously I, I was playing on the irony of having gone to a geek dinner as well. So this is the thing. So so it, its historic name works quite nicely for what it does. But in terms of gender divide, I don't necessarily think it's the best name for it in the long run. I have considered alternatives. I haven't found a good one yet. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? You, you start on a play on words. And how did you ever know it was going to be so big? 55,000 people. It's amazing. I didn't. I didn't expect it at all. and. It hit me at one of the Italian ones when I sat down and I was invited over there to go and speak at it by someone who's now a good friend. And they had Grazia magazine there and Cosmo magazine there. And they were taking all these pictures, proper press pictures. And I was like, this is weird. I'd never thought that I would go and end up in a magazine that I used to flick through as a teenager. And in Italy, of all places, I and I am the least fashion conscious person you have ever met. And this was Milan. (laughs) (laughs) So you can imagine, I was like a duck out of water. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Apart from I knew what I was doing when I was talking about the events and about what we do and why we do it. But to see all those women there and to see them together in a different part of the world doing exactly what we do in London was just magical. And they put their own flavour on it and their own Italian style to it, which was perfect because it showed me that my version of it wasn't necessarily the same as the other versions around the world. Each of them had their own cultural differences. And by not restricting it in certain ways of you have to do it this, that and the other way, it meant that they could be culturally diverse and each each group could do what they needed to for their local communities to get them involved. Because if we'd put additional rules in, it would never have worked because I wouldn't have known how they would have worked in Italy. Now, I remember the first time I was like, when I heard the name, it just got me so excited. I was like... Finally, a network with people that are women, IT, not just talking fluff, but actually talking technology. Where are things going? And and I, I remember the first dinner was at the University of Oslo. It was so cool. I was just like, I want to be a part of this. I want to volunteer. But it was so popular. It was almost impossible to get in. Like the dinners, they get sold out within a minute. Yeah, we had that with London. Like rock concert. It's like, dude, you're at your computer. I remember me in Ingville was like, Okay, you're on the computer now. I'm on the computer now. Let's see who can get the tickets. <laughs> yeah, I remember it with London. We used to have all sorts of issues trying to service the email list that we had and which channels would we put it out on first? Yeah. Do we put it out on email? Do we put it out on social? Do we time the tickets and do, do lots of little groups of tickets to see, be able to give more people more chances? Do we do it as a lucky dip draw? You know, there were so many different things to try and get give everybody the opportunity of being there. So not everyone was the same group of people every time because you had a a core group that would always want to be at every event, of course. Yeah, no, it was interesting. So um, that's why, that's why um, Ingville and I were so privileged when we could volunteer and help out because then you got to go to all the events because you're organizing them and you're thinking outside the box. And and it was interesting because the first time I did an event, I'm always used to doing events, but you're always thinking about how many attendees. And I remember Ingville saying, don't worry. The attendees are going to come. And, and, and anytime we're bringing in businesses, they're like, wait, how many people are going to come? 
you don't have to worry about how many people are coming because it's going to be filled up. <laughs> That's a yeah. luxury. It's such a luxury. Yeah, I mean, Google were worried that we wouldn't be able to fill their London office. And we were like, we could fill your London office three times over. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Weren't they impressed? They were very surprised. We've, have, we've been back there a lot of times over the years. Um, they've been a good good sponsor and a good supporter of us. So, yeah. Yeah, they were really good in Norway. We had, a, we had some lovely events over there. It was really, really nice. We talked about this whole gender diversity thing about how just the mindset of a man forgets about the mindset of a woman, right? Like mm-hmm. they forget, like they think the iPhone is, is totally designed for a man, not for a woman, right? Yeah. Uh, like in size and the way it's done. And it's because 90% of the guys that are designing it are men. So you don't have the women's perspective on it to create the buttons, to create the features that a woman actually wants. Yeah. But the other interesting one is inviting a guy to a girl geek dinner. Yeah, how is that? Well, there's an interesting one for you. Some of the guys really, really want to go. And some of them come along because they've been asked and they've been kind of cudgeled and and pulled in and and told to go. And it doesn't matter whether they've been invited to come of their own free will and they're desperate to go and see what it's like, or whether they've been told to go by one of their female colleagues. But every time that I've spoken to any of the men that have attended the events, they have always said, now I understand what it's like for women at tech events. Now I get it. Because I don't have to queue for the bathrooms, whereas all you ladies at this event do. Funny that, it's the other way around at male tech events. (laughs) And then them being asked, why are they there? What what got them to come to the event? But it, it goes the other way around. It's a role reversal completely. So they were asked why they wanted to be there. Isn't it, don't, <laughs> don't they feel out of place because this is a women-focused event, you know? And they suddenly understood that these women that are going to these tech events are, are being asked these kinds of questions but about tech and whether they're relevant and whether it's appropriate. And it took their female advocate that invited them to explain to them why it happens like this and, and to really introduce them to the concepts of what women are focused on and, and having to deal with when they go to big tech events and when they're in the workplace even. So it was a really good learning experience for them. Wow. And I wish more of the women at the events would invite more of the men along because it, it does teach them and educate them in as much as it does the women. And it breaks down those barriers really quickly. Well, you should maybe almost like make it a rule now, like say, hey, bring in so and so many men because we don't have enough men in the Norwegian events, uh, I don't think. So, and I think I didn't realize that because you're right. I remember when I was, uh, I lived in Harlem and I was a minority. I was like the only white person. And I remember I was invited to go to church and I realized what it felt like to be a minority, you know, and I can just imagine how men feel and like how we need to create those moments where you learn how it feels to be the one that the one and only, and Mm. how do we, how do we respond and how are we generous? Yeah. Because you learn how to, be more sympathetic if you understand what the other person is going through. You don't end up giving them the same levels of grief and asking their technical ability at a tech event, you know. Um, you, you, You accept them for who they are and that they are there. You create that sense of belonging a lot easier and a lot quicker if you have an understanding of the problems in the first place. Kind of like you had it at the UN. Yeah. You're automatically uh, invited and a voice. Exactly. You automatically have a voice and a place at the table. So what do you think are the major challenges right now? Like uh, Girl Geek Dinner has now been going on for 15 years. Hmm. So you have probably seen some changes, right? Yes. Maybe not as much as you would like, but what changes have you seen? 
Well, there's quite a few. You see more female speakers at events now than you ever did. You do see event rules and regulations on conduct, which you never used to see. So those kinds of things have made a big impact in the event. What kind of rules was that? Like, what is that? Around the way that people engage with each other. It's not really around gender as such, but more over diversity in general. So diversity clauses around... um, not making people feel uncomfortable, not deliberately starting arguments, picking fights, that kind of thing, either in person or online. And there have been a lot of cases over the years that have ended up in the press where people have done stupid things and upset individuals and it's all blown up online. And it doesn't look good on the event companies. And the more the likes of Girl Geek Dinners came about, the more those kinds of issues got picked up by the press and escalated. So companies had to respond to it and counter it and make sure these things didn't happen anymore so almost because it wasn't socially acceptable anymore to be able to do those things in public they stopped happening shaming them to behave yeah and also setting a set of rules and and explaining to them categorically if you break these rules you will not be allowed to remain at the event and if you if someone puts a complaint in through the complaints process we will deal with it as a company you know I mean, those kinds of things have a massive impact, but people didn't know to put them in in the first place because they weren't hearing about the issues that were arising because women just wouldn't turn up. So if they do turn up because they've got a group of them and they all know each other from other events, then suddenly you've got this other issue of how do you deal with things when things go wrong? (laughs) So things have been put in place. In terms of other things, in the workplace, you are seeing more women around in the workplace and they aren't leaving as often There are still issues around women leaving when they have children um, and not returning after a second child. But that's more around economics than it is role. So certain jobs you you can't easily. It's not a case of you can't do them with children. It's more a case of you don't necessarily still have the skill set when you've left the workplace for two or three years to be able to come back and keep up with it. You think there should be some kind of a program there to help women to get back into it? There are programs now. This is the good thing. This is where I was going with it, actually. Was Despite that problem, there are now courses and community groups and companies even that are supporting the return to work after children. The other side of that is that it's still holding people back. And the reason why those activities don't always work is because the cost of putting the children into childcare until they get to primary school age is too high and the governments in most countries don't cover childcare costs until they're two and uh, three and a half so you've got three years where or three and a half years without with very little childcare support financially and two children under three you're not going to be able to easily make that up with your pay salary wise when you go back into the workplace but don't you think covid has helped with that though now that we can do more remote working i hope so i really hope so although being a parent with two kids I do find if I've got the children at home and I'm dealing with COVID, I'm just doing longer hours and it's more stressful and the juggle is harder. I envy those women that don't have children in COVID that don't have to do that juggle because it is incredibly stressful. You've got the children not understanding whether or not you can go, whether they can, they don't really look at whether or not you're available. They just need you, you know. So when they need you, you've got to be there. You can't just ignore them all the time. You've got to deal with their needs first over the needs of the business. And sometimes those things do do kind of clash. 
So do you feel like it's open? So we got more speakers. Do you see more women leaders? Has it been more acceptable? Like, uh, do you see an attitude shift? I guess that's what I'm. There is an attitude shift. It's more acceptable to have females on the boards. It's more acceptable to have females at at higher levels within companies, I think. I don't think it's easy to get to those levels still. And I don't think it ever will be. Not that because they're women, but just because you have to have a pipeline first to get the experience to get to those levels. You can't just systematically put women at the top, whether they've got the experience or not. They have to have the experience to do the job properly. I do think there needs to be stuff around leadership skills training and fast track programs, that kind of thing that might help. I don't see a lot of those happening still, not even in some of the larger companies, which is a shame. So there's a lot to do. There's still a lot to do. And I also think that governments can do an awful lot more than they are as well. So what do you think government could do? Well, certainly in this country, I'm in the UK, I'm not in the US, but in, or Oslo or, <laughs> or anywhere else. In England, I believe that our government could enable women a lot more within the workplace by covering some of the childcare costs for women that are trying to return to work. I think once they're at school, you've got a reasonable amount of cover, but until school age, it's still not great. I think that they can do a lot more around innovation for particularly female-focused startups. One of the things for women that have had children is that they don't always want to go back to full-time work, but they have tech skills and they're very good with computing and programming and all sorts of things. And a lot of them start companies, but but they're not fo- they're not a, not a focus of the of the governments. Certainly not in this country, and as far as I'm aware, not in a lot of the countries. Yeah. Uh, and if if they did focus on that, I think they'd have a lot more women-focused companies and leaders as a result of it, because those companies would grow over time. And I think that would be a fascinating kind of test to do at some point. <laughs> I like experimenting. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's really cool. I like that. So if you, if you look now, 15 years, that's a long time. It is a long time. We've had, I think we've had Nora for 10 years, and I was there probably almost at the beginning of it. And I was, I loved, I absolutely, I thought it was such a, uh, I liked, I liked it because it was so informal. I love that I could talk to women about robotics. Mm -hmm. Times when women come together, it's almost like we end up talking about family as an obligatory thing. Instead of talking about what, what our passion is. And I felt that at the girl geek dinners, you were focusing on that one passion instead of, the one that everyone expects you to have, which is the family. Yeah, so that one passion thing came from me looking at what the definition of a geek was way back, really early. So early on, when I looked at Wikipedia, it said a geek was someone with greasy hair, glasses, male, kind of in a basement, playing about on computers, right? And I was like, I don't fit that. And a nerd was someone with no social skills, blah, 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 and and was kind of a level down from a geek and I was like well I don't fit that either but yeah I go to these events like geek dinners and I fit in you know I'm I can do all the stuff I cover it all and I was like this is this isn't right the definition of geek isn't actually correct so I went on wikipedia and I signed in as a as an editor and I wrote a geek is someone with a depth of knowledge and a passion for a subject area is your definition still on wikipedia it's there somewhere in some way, shape or form. It'll be there in the history. And I put some examples up around, you could have a cooking geek and a shopping geek and a 
uh, an engineering geek. And there's so many different versions of geek, right? And all of them are geeky about their subject area. So you, you don't have to be a technology geek to be a geek. It really is about that depth of knowledge and that passion. And that's still kind of stuck with the, uh, with the kind of geek thing. So yeah, and then and then you expanded. You didn't even expanded to the U.S. to San Francisco. That's pretty impressive. Did you get to go there ever? I've been to San Francisco. I went to San Francisco before Go Eat Dinners were in San Francisco. <laughs> um, actually, no, that's not true. I went back again, and I met the organizer of San Francisco Go Eat Dinners, and she was lovely. We went for coffee. I'll get it right because I went for one of the big tech events to go and showcase a product. <laughs> But I didn't get to go to a girl geek dinner. There wasn't one on at the time. I hadn't pre-planned the going to this particular event. But it's so. exploded even in the mecca of technology, which I thought was really interesting. It's not like an American startup, and it's no. But they have spun off since. Yeah, even though they spun off, it's it's still it's still part of girl geek dinners, right? Oh yeah, yeah. They still they still have girl geek dinners as their description. So yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot of us. Yeah, no. So it's very exciting to see how uh, how this has taken on. So if you look back now, 15 years, and then you're looking to the future, where do you where do you see Girl Geek Dinners going next? Well, there's an interesting question. I'm in two minds. Either Girl Geek Dinners no longer exists because all the problems are solved, or we work through the pipeline and we start at the bottom with girls in school age and partnering with other organisations to support them in encouraging girls to look into the the geeky aspects of computers and stuff. Or we go slightly different angle and we focus on government support and uh, making changes there, or we do all of them, you know. <laughs> but yeah, ideally, Girl Geek Dinners would no longer be needed because everything would be resolved. I'm such an idealist, aren't I? <laughs> yes. But that's where you started it. You're yeah. Honest. I've always said that the day that Girl Geek Dinners is no longer required is the day that, I, that it's done its job. So wow. I'm hoping that we will get to that point. Yeah. I think we have a ways to go, though. And so, but I, I really, I really appreciate it. Is there any lasting thoughts that you have that you want to share? That like, mm-hmm. When you look back, you look now and you see all of this just because you dare to be a voice. I mean, that's really what it is. You dared to be a voice. You dared to do something. And you took it step by step, but somehow it just unfolded itself to be such a force. I, I guess the one thing that I learned from this is that unless you've got a good idea and you, you do something with it, you're not going to get anywhere. And it's, it's about not just having the good idea, but daring to try. Because if you don't try and see whether it works, you'll never know. And there's nothing wrong with trying something and it not working. You learn, you know. Failure isn't an option as such. It's a step to success or a step to change. And I think most people worry about things not working and kind of discourage themselves from even trying. And I think if you've got a good idea, talk to people, figure out whether or not it might work. And if it sounds like it even remotely might work, give it a try. Because at the end of the day, you've got a voice and you've got the ability to do something with that voice. Oh, that's beautiful. So when you look at it, because I, what I like so much, my, my podcast is called Moving Beyond Your Tribe. It's like you've moved beyond the UK. You've created a universal rallying cry in a way with all these women. When you look back now, what do you think? It was a good idea, but what made it so universal? 
I think it was the fact that so many women were feeling the same way. I wasn't the only person feeling like I wasn't belonging at events. And I think it was that lack of support and that lack of belonging that was consistent across the world. People could understand it. They felt the same or at least something similar. And they wanted it to change. There was that desire for change there. And I don't think it would have happened if people hadn't been struggling. And I don't think it would have happened if they didn't feel similarly in terms of wanting that change to happen. And I also feel like the men that are in the industry sector also want that change. So I think it's not just about the women wanting the change. I think everyone needs it and it it will happen. I think so. I definitely think so. I think you're seeing a movement towards that. So what is a life hack or a hack computer hack that you use to make your life simple? This is my last question. (laughs) There's an interesting one. My life hacks my planner. I have a, my planner. Yeah. So I I have something called a a rocket book, which is a basically smart reusable notebook. And I use a rocket book Panda, which is a really cool planner. And it gives me the ability to plan monthly, annually, work out my priorities, um, and then take that right the way down to a day-to-day kind of task list. And by breaking something that's a really big concept down into meaningful annual kind of steps and then taking that down the level again to to the monthlies and the dailies, you start to realise that small steps make big changes over a period of time. And actually, you start with the little steps and you get there, but you have to know what your bigger picture is. So yeah, my, my, my top tip would be uh, look at the, start with your bigger picture, your, your big dream or big idea and um, break it down into meaningful, meaningful steps or, t- or goals and then take those goals down into priorities and tasks and you will get there. Rocket Book Panda. Yeah, I love it. I, I, it's a company that's been around for a little while. They were around when? Oh, 2000 or so, 2000, no, it's later than that, about 20. And it's analog, right? It's not a computer thing, it's analog. Ah, but it is. It's an analog and a computer thing. This is why I love it. It takes the online offline and the offline online, (laughs) (laughs) which is like Girl Geek Dinners, you know? So it's because that's what we do. And it mirrors what I do with Girl Geek Dinners. I love it. Um, I like the things that are analog but digital at the same time. Because it works with the mobile phone, you can scan the stuff in, it's got OCR that recognises what you've written, it can back it up to OneDrive, etc. And you can access it wherever you are. So you've I got that. Yeah, you have to have a look. I know. <laughs> it's I, well I, worth a look. I was trying to do, I tried to do this planner called Centered and it sounded so good. Their marking was fabulous. Like you're going to be in Zen moment when you're going to get your tasks done. And all it was, it's a task with some Zen music. Oh, <laughs> where's my calendar where's my breakdown I was like, this is this is bogus so anyways no so. that's that's my practical one because I I like I like to be practical with stuff and be able to see when things are progressing and I struggle if I don't have that so yeah so where can we find you we've got the website the girl geek dinners where mm-hmm. we can look at what things are going on and then yep. anywhere you are in the world do you have those listed on your website all the chapters 
They were at the moment. I'm updating it. Okay. So for the next couple of weeks or month, it'll be there. Yeah, over by Christmas time. <laughs> by Christmas time, all of the groups that are still active will be on there. And if anyone wants to reactivate any of the groups that used to be on there, they'll be listed as inactive, but able to be taken back up. So, oh, and if good. you haven't got one that's inactive, then you can start one yourselves. Well, we can start one. That's lovely. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for your work. You've really made an impact on society. Thank you. Uh, with your one idea and that idea keeps living and growing and and is is a beautiful flower that's just everywhere so uh thank you thank for your work thank you thank you for listening if you happen to like this episode please share with your friends and if you're new please pop on over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe leave us a review we'd love to hear from you and how we can improve and make this better or how this has helped you Don't forget to join us next week for another episode.